The DIY movement is all the rage these days. If we can't find what we're looking for on Amazon, with enough YouTube videos, we can probably figure out how to make it ourselves. The internet is a wonderful thing. You can find almost anything you need or want, or sometimes things you don't want or need. And if you're not careful, one thing leads to another and then another, and you end up with 17 ways to make a birdhouse from a gourd when you actually started wanting to know how to garden in a rocky terrain. However, in my line of work, historical research and study, it's sometimes a slippery slope right from the get-go. And because of my morbid curiosity, I just keep right on following down the rabbit hole. So, for those of you who know the story of Ed Gein, you know what you're getting into. If this person's story is new to you, might I suggest you step away from that sandwich and brace yourself for the horrifying, possibly queasy impact. My friends, welcome to Anthropodermia. It's not as uncommon as you might think. Welcome, my name is Elizabeth Bougeret, and I'm that person when studying the many facets of history likes to peek behind the curtain, investigate hidden passages, drop into the rabbit hole, or dare to walk in the shadows, because we all know that's where the good stories can be found. Take a listen then to discover what dark or peculiar pieces of American history can be found in my bag of bones. Ed Gein's story is the stuff of horror movies, and in this case, I do mean literally. After his arrest in 1957, the press went wild, and details from his case became fodder for movies such as Psycho, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Silence of the Lambs, and at least four others. While Gein was never convicted of murder, he did admit to killing two women and was sent to a mental institution for the rest of his life. His claim to fame, however, was not the death of these two poor victims. It was his peculiar hobby. Gein became mm, quite proficient at creating items from human skin. And since he went that far, he was also known for using other body parts as household items as well. Waste not, want not. Gein was not a cold-blooded, psychopathic killer that terrorized the neighborhood, even though he is often lumped in the serial killer category. Neither am I condoning his behavior. But for Gein, specifically for all the horror and fame attributed to him, he was actually the victim of severe child abuse. Without pulling up his psych reports, the short explanation is he was so used to being controlled by his mother and so confused by her mixed messages as he was growing up, when she died and he was left alone, he literally snapped. Dr. Nicola Davies stated in her review of Gein's profile, quote, Ed's childhood and the messages about women and life in general conveyed to him by his mother had already laid the foundations for the making of a monster. His crimes were efforts to be closer to his mother, and thus Ed's crimes were like a bomb waiting to go off, which occurred when his mother died, end quote. Here is the brief, condensed version of his story for context. His father was an alcoholic, an abusive man, and Ed and his brother were beaten on a regular basis which made Ed shy and afraid of making mistakes. And their mother, as I mentioned, was a very dominant woman who used religion to put the fear of God into her boys, that women were evil and you must never get too close or have intercourse because they can control you. 
Ed had a very close relationship with his mother as a result. She was the only woman he could trust. She would tell him, and he believed, she was protecting him from the dangers of the outside world. They were raised on a huge piece of wooded property of about 195 acres and were only allowed to leave to go to school and to do various jobs around the neighborhood. Ed was thought to be very quiet and shy, polite but awkward, but people trusted him. He was more comfortable in structured environments and therefore did well in school. When he was young, he babysat for kids in the neighborhood, and when he got older, he continued to take odd jobs to earn money. Everyone had nothing but nice things to say. In 1940, his father died first. His older brother died next. And it was just he and his mother for about a year before complications from an earlier stroke took her life. Ed Gein was left alone. Yes, he was an adult, but had never had to make decisions about his life. His grief for his mother and being alone overtook him, and he reacted, well, the way he thought he should. He lost his identity and searched for the one thing that he knew, the one thing that made him feel whole, his mother. Soon after her death, he closed off her rooms to keep them just as they were. The rest of the house was allowed to fall into shambles. He let the electric, heat, and water get turned off and moved his bedroom into a utility room just off the kitchen and spent most of his time in these two rooms. He kept himself busy. His nocturnal activities included grave robbing and arts and crafts. By the time the police caught up with him, he had quite a collection of shocking handmade items. Some of them even made from actual hands. Among his books of action-adventure stories, he also had quite a few detailing the war crimes of World War II concentration camps. It is believed that these books may have inspired him. After the defeat of Nazi Germany, Isla Koch, the wife of one of the commanders, was at Buchwald concentration camp, and she was accused of having lampshades made from human skin. Not just lampshades, but she was put on trial for war crimes, and there was an abundant testimony that she was a cruel and evil human in a place of power. In addition, it was rumored that she collected tattooed skin and shrunken heads. She would pick out prisoners to kill based on their skin. And it was such a shock to people that it was highly publicized in great detail. But here's a side note. This is one of the rumors that have been difficult to quash. For years, and many, many tests later, it has been found out that the lampshades were not made of human skin, but one of goat skin and one of plant fibers. However, Mr. Gein did not know that the rumors were false, and he too made a lampshade of human skin. It's a messy, sloppy thing. Doesn't match anything. And he also figured out how to make his own shrunken heads, which... As an additional side note, some people of the town saw, and they could not believe that they were real, as Ed had a fanciful story to tell of how he acquired them. Many believed it was similar to saving your comic book receipts to earn your superhero ring. <laughs> Little did they know. But back to Isla, it was proven a fact that she did have a wallet and book cover made from human skin. So it's not too much of a stretch, pardon the pun, that the lampshades could have been made from human skin. But, once more, 
they were not. The collection of Ed Gein's household treasures included bowls fashioned from skulls, matching spoons and forks with bones as handles. He also had a set of skulls on the headboard posts of his bed. The seats for his wooden chairs had skin seat covers, and apparently he made some covers for his armchairs too, but that is not confirmed. He did, um, make a few items of clothing. Gloves, uh, a vest, and, uh, a woman's corset, women's leggings. Okay, so I know he was aiming for actual legs, but I'm going to go with leggings. Okay, fine, he was fashioning a woman's suit. He would admit to putting them on and that he missed his mother so much he tried to become her. That is so sad and so creepy. He did have a shoebox of other body parts, a set of lips sewn to a drawstring for the blinds, noses, there was a heart found in the kitchen, and a head in a bag. And, I mean, in his defense, the head was only there in the bag because the police came to question him about the missing person before he was finished. They they found the last victim, the missing person, strung upside down, like a dressing of a deer. The head was cut off, the body eviscerated, and clean. Apparently, Ed suddenly remembered something he needed at the grocery store, so he left his work unfinished, and that's where he was arrested. They said he didn't understand what the fuss was about. The police were still going through all of the items from his home, while they took Ed to the police station, and just when they thought they'd found everything, out comes the nipple belt. That's right, a belt made from nipples. It's, uh, very fashionable in France, I hear. Oh, and by the way, back to World War II for a quick second, the rumor, too, that the Germans made soap from human corpses on an industrial level is also false. I wish I could tell you that it was 100% false, but they did find evidence that soap was indeed made from some of the prisoners. I wonder if they checked Ed's soap. You've all survived history class. My history education was all about cramming dates and names and battles into my teenage brain in order to pass the newest test to make the school look good. I didn't really enjoy history until I was able to revisit it and see that history was made up of people, just like me. They had struggles, they had joy, they had sadness, and they felt victories. It became so very real to me. And now, I'm on a mission to revisit as much history as I can. Hello, my name's Elizabeth Bougeret. I'm a full-time author and a full-time traveler, and I would love to share what I'm learning with you. Come with me. See my sights and stories as I go. I love history now. Real history. Not just the dates and battles. And I've discovered that others do too. So, I've created a group in Facebook, and I'd love for you to join me on my travels and adventures. Let me reintroduce you to a history that's made up of people, places, adventures. I'll even throw in a few battles for good measure. If you love American history with a side of travel, I'm sure you'll enjoy this group. Join me over there. 
Search the Facebook groups for History Revisited, I'm the one with the blue feather, or type in historyrevisited.info in the search bar and then join in on the adventure. And so I can be sure to welcome you properly, be sure to say hello. As I mentioned earlier, Ed Gein was mentally unbalanced. He was not killing for the sake of or for the sport of killing. Dr. Davies mentions, quote, Grief is incredibly difficult to deal with for psychological healthy people. Ed was out of his depth with grief and had been isolated for so long that he was on his own with these overwhelming feelings, end quote. The doctors believe that if he had gotten help, or just someone to check on him or help him with his grief, he would have never gone down that gruesome path. And once he was sentenced to the institution, all of his reports say that he was a model patient, not a bit of a problem, structured environment, a feeling of safety. But in other cases that I have discovered about using human skin for anything, doesn't necessarily come with a demented brain. The number one cause you just have to be really, really angry, as in teaching a lesson kind of angry. Now, this example isn't from America, but it is such a perfect example that I couldn't leave it out. So quick backstory. During the Victorian era, the medical community was making new discoveries of how the human body actually works and possible ways to prevent illness or ways to combat it, much like it does now. But back then, it used to be completely taboo to dissect the human body. So people and the doctors relied on false beliefs or stars or spirits. But soon the ban was lifted and medical students were allowed to practice skills on cadavers. There were so many new students and doctors that they went through the bodies pretty quick. So they would hire men to sneak out and steal bodies from cemeteries. You with me? Okay. A pair of really shady grave robbers, William Burke and William Hare, were making a killing, sorry, couldn't resist, for bringing in bodies to doctors. Then they decided that it would be much faster, easier, and the bodies would be fresher if they just, you know, started murdering people instead. They got away with it at least 16 times that was known before they were caught. William Hare spilled his guts. Sorry, it's just too easy. He turned on his partner and told everything in order to save his own life. William Burke felt the full force of the Edinburgh authority. He was hanged on a stage in front of 25,000 onlookers. His freshly dead body was then dissected in front of everyone. His skeleton was preserved and can apparently still be seen at the Edinburgh Medical School. Also on display is a man's wallet, like one of those those long ones, and it has a note that says it was bound with William Burke's skin. How's that for punishment? And since I'm on a roll, let me tell you the story about George Parrott. He was a cattle rustler and a highwayman. He was known by the nickname Big Nose, for obvious reasons. In 1878, he robbed something somewhere, and the lawmen were in hot pursuit. They caught up with the thieves, but were spotted on their arrival and were ambushed. Big Nose and his men killed the two lawmen, stole their horses and weapons, and took off again. 
They were eventually caught and put into a local jail. In 1881, George attempted to escape, but was caught by the citizens. They decided that it wasn't worth it to wait for his scheduled execution date and decided to string him up right then and there. They got a rope and threw it around his neck. He was a big man, and he struggled so much that he ripped one of his ears off. When he finally gave up the ghost, the doctor flayed the skin from his chest and back and thighs and made a medical bag, a coin purse, and a pair of shoes. Okay, it was only half a pair of shoes. The other half were the shoes that old George was wearing at the hanging. The tanner took the man's shoes, cut out the top and front, and replaced it with the skin of George Big Nose Parrot. That was one angry man. The top of his skull was sawed off and given to 15-year-old Lillian Heath, who, incidentally, went on to be the first female doctor in Wyoming. Not sure why she was chosen to be gifted with this piece of anatomy, but she says she had used it as an ashtray, a penholder, and a doorstop before relinquishing it when she was in her 80s. And those examples were in the 19th century, but prior to that, using the skin of convicts to cover books was actually quite common. Many of the books became prized possessions and dark African skin was highly sought after. Many medical students bound their books in the skin of their cadavers as a way of saying thank you for their sacrifice for their learning. Most of the bodies were of unclaimed corpses. And then there are those who bequeathed their skin to have it made into book covers. The Highwayman narrative of James Allen, better known as George Walton, of 1837, was bound in his own flesh. It's true, it can still be seen in Boston, Massachusetts. He was a thief by trade and apparently much feared. The story goes that he was so impressed by one man he robbed that stood up to him that when he died he requested two copies of his memoir that he composed in prison to be bound with his skin, one sent to his doctor and one sent to this brave man who stood up to him, John Fenno Jr., who, probably at that point, regretted his decision. The cover reads The Highwayman Narrative. This book was bound in Walton's skin. There are more than you'd expect of people who would have their skin used in the bindings of books to be memorialized in a sense. So when they do request such things or acknowledge permission, they are not seeing it as grotesque, but as honorable. I'll just give you a moment to ponder that. Some people liked to collect books and have them bound in human skin that was chosen for its tattoos. On that note, in Japan, some really rich, weird people will hire and pay handsomely for poor people to have their skin tattooed, and when they died, I'm not sure if they were helped along in the process or not, the skin was used for art, bookbinding, or any number of things. Which makes me wonder, what happens if the really rich, weird person dies first? From my research, the oldest example of a book bound in human flesh is a Bible in France. In fact, France has the highest number of human skin books. But since so many stories have surfaced about books being bound in human skin, a group of scientists have been on a mission to test books using a method called peptide mass fingerprinting. 
They have been testing books in libraries, archives, private collections, medical colleges, and museums. The results? Over half of the books they tested were confirmed to be bound with human skin. Have you heard enough? This would be a great time to check out because after this brief word from our sponsor, I've got more. Freight brokers play an instrumental role in the shipping industry. They ensure that a variety of goods move across the U.S. from one location to another without complication. Demand for freight brokers continues to increase as the industry evolves. Starting a freight brokerage business or maintaining a current one appears to have a positive job outlook for this career. If you've been wanting to break into or excel in the freight broker industry, Fresh Start Lifestyles has the answer. Call Amanda or Amber to find out how the complete Fresh Start Freight Broker course with certificate can get you started in a new career. Call Fresh Start Lifestyles for more information at 833-373-7475. That's 833-373-7475. In the medieval times, the human body was seen as the housing for the soul, beautiful and respected. During the Renaissance, while way before America, I use this example as perspective. This is where the opinion came that the body was a thing of beauty and became the main focal point for artists at the time. This is why you see so many of the nude paintings and sculptures. They were perfected during this time. And do you know why? because most of the studious artists attended medical dissections. Not only did they attend, but they also became quite handy with the scalpel. They were so obsessed with making their representations of the human body so accurate that they required the knowledge of not just the musculature system, but the bone structure as well. And you wonder why Michelangelo's works are so near perfect not just in sculpting, but in painting. It's so detailed, and you appreciate the art and gift of it. And I'm hoping I didn't ruin that for this behind-the-scenes look, but since I'm destroying your innocence anyway, the master Leonardo da Vinci was known to be a bit of a grave robber himself. He would sneak into cemeteries and recover a fresh corpse, if there is such a thing, take it back to his studio and use it as a model. Then sometimes dissecting it as well. So, that begs the question, is it art, is it science, or is it just crazy? Sir Thomas Brown stated in a letter, quote, This fascination with flaying, far from betraying mere scientific interest or even morbid curiosity, bespeaks a peculiar and novel way of thinking about the human body and, in particular, about the previously unsuspected complexity of its envelope, the skin, a continent so visible and yet so unexplored. End quote. It wasn't until the 1800s that the study of the anatomy was prohibited for others and turned exclusively towards the medical community. So, there's a point to art and to science, but I know you're waiting to tap into the crazy. Hang on, because here it comes. The following is an actual printing of an article published in 1888 from Philadelphia. I am reading the words as they were printed, so do not take offense as nothing is meant as defamatory. Well, except for the part of using human skin, of course. So, if you are ready, 
P.S. I do not know the author of the transcript, so that is, that is missing. And I quote, Only last week I met him upon the street with a brand new pair of shoes. I looked at his footwear, as I always do. His pedal coverings have an irresistible fascination with me, and said with a smile, Is that downtrodden African still beneath your feet? In most matter-of-fact way, and without a shadow of a smile, he answered, I suppose you mean to inquire if I still wear the shoes made of the skin of a negro. I certainly do, and I don't propose changing in that respect until I find a leather that is softer and will last longer and present a better appearance. I have no sentiment about this matter. I might be accused of being actuated by a race prejudice. I fought in the rebellion that the blacks might be freed. I would use a white man's skin for the same purpose if it were sufficiently thick, and if anyone has a desire to wear my epidermis upon his feet after I have drawn my last breath, he has my antemortem permission. End quote. The article continues with the admiration that the gentleman's shoes never hurt his feet or quote, emitted no creaking sound and appeared comfortable. End quote. He would obtain the skins from bodies that were dissected in the medical colleges, claiming that quote, the best leather is obtained from the thighs. End quote. He would then take the skins to a tanner, who, I guess, asked no questions, but just went to work. And then the prepared leather was sent to a French shoemaker, I told you, those French, who lived in America, who would, quote, wonder at the exquisite smoothness and that it excels the finest French calf skin, end quote. The article mentions several other skin objects that are made that the public might not be aware of, including several articles that were created by medical students, I guess who have too much downtime on their hands between classes and sat around thinking, huh, what could we do with this? But he says, quote, one of the dudest dudes in town carries a match safe covered with a portion of the skin of a beautiful young woman who was found drowned in the Delaware River it still retains its natural color, end quote. So, not just any dude, only the dudest dude. Another example, quote, One of the best-known surgeons in this country who resides in this city has a beautiful instrument case entirely covered with leather made from an African's skin, end quote. So, you know me and my rabbit holes. I was curious to see if there was a difference in our skins on a microscopic level, or was it just preference or prejudice? It turns out that when examining under the microscope, skin structure is roughly the same in all races, but there are some subtle differences that exist particularly within the layers of skin. In comparison with white skin, the black skin, stratum corneum, is equal in thickness, but more compact. About 20 cell layers are observed in black skin versus 16 layers in white skin. The lipid content, which according to the Derm Store, is the skin's natural fats and are essential components of the skin. They play a crucial role in maintaining the strength of the skin's protective barrier, which holds moisture, protects the skin from damage, and keeps dirt and impurities out. They also aid the skin's natural repair process. So, the lipids of black skin is also somewhat higher, and this perhaps explains the durability, the softness, the ability to repel water. Also, 
the amount of sweat glands in black and white skin is identical, but black subjects withstand humid heat better while white skin copes better with dry heat. I'm not advocating making shoes out of human skins of any color, but it does seem that the physician mentioned earlier was correct. However, the shoes made of big nose are still on display in Carbon County Museum in Rawlins, Wyoming, and still in good condition. I don't know if they were comfy or not, so there's that. There is also a story of a young society lady that wore, quote, a beautiful pair of dark slippers, the remarkable lustriousness of whose leather invariably excites the admiration of her friends when they see them, end quote. They were a gift from an admirer. She did not know that she was wearing the skin of a cadaver from the Jefferson College and that the rosettes on the slippers were, quote, deftly fashioned from the Negro's kinky hair, end quote. Hello, listeners. We are Katie, Amber, Kylie, and Matt. And we are the hosts of Save Me an Isle Seat, a show that talks about musicals in an understandable and relatable way. If you like musicals or theater in general, or if you're interested in them but don't know where to start, we'd love to help introduce you. Come find us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Or on our website at www.ragtagnetwork.com. And we'll be sure to save you an aisle seat. You know how we question people's obsession with serial killers and wonder how they receive such fame for doing such dastardly things? I mean, raise your hand if you would have a piece of memorabilia in your house from one of those people. And no, don't send me emails. I'm not going to buy that stuff. In many of the stories I've brought to you on the podcast and other examples found elsewhere, people have torn off pieces of homes, gravestones, and stolen odds and ends just because they were associated with a serial killer in some degree. Ed Gein's house, for example, accidentally burned to the ground, but people had already been peeking through windows and stealing bits of this and that before he was ever tried. In 1833, a criminal named Antony LeBlanc was tried, convicted, and executed for the triple murder of a most respected family. The town was so outraged that he was not even given a burial, but instead turned into memorabilia. After doctors created his death mask, they peeled off his skin and sent it to the local tannery where it was turned into, quote, charming little keepsakes. The tannery created wallets, lampshades, book jackets, cigar cases, and more. But don't worry, if you couldn't afford any of the fancy stuff, you could still buy a strip of his skin, personally signed by Sheriff Ludlow to verify its authenticity. The fascination with the dead combined with the curiosity of the anatomy, and if you add a dash of crazy, well, you have any number of stories found in history, I'm sad to say. But in case you think all of that stuff was only happening way back in our history, just a little bit of recent history will remind you that we are still such a weird species. Now, I love me some Halloween as much as the next person. If I'm dressing up in a period costume, I do my best to be authentic and honor the time frame. However, if you are jumping into the zombie-themed costumes or runs or groups, and are a stickler for authenticity, have I got just the thing you didn't know you were missing. Rachelle Burks, 
a chemist from Nebraska decided to create a perfume from the chemicals released by the dead body. Quote, if we're really trying to mimic a corpse, we have got to get the smell down to a perfection. Nobody wants to be the guinea pig that spritzes on death cologne and realizes it doesn't quite work. End quote. <laughs> yeah, and how could you possibly think for settling for something less? She further explains, putacine and cadaverine are the main ingredients which are emitted early on in the decaying process. Both organic chemical compounds are produced by the breakdown of amino acids in living and dead organisms and are toxic in large doses, end quote. So, one spray, let's not overdo it. There's a Chicago-based company, Life Gem, that allows you to create diamonds out of your loved one's cremated remains. This service is largely regarded as poetic or romantic. I'll let you decide which would be more poetic, wearing a diamond or carrying around a wallet made from the skin of Aunt Esther. The website states, From just 8 ounces of cremated remains, we can extract enough carbon to make multiple diamonds, typically all the diamonds a family wants. We store any unused carbon free for the family after the order is completed. This is a great protection in case their life gem diamonds are ever lost or stolen. And if diamonds aren't your thing, then you're in luck because Cremation Solutions in Arlington, Vermont also provides crystals that resemble citrine, aquamarine, onyx, jade, and chocolate diamonds. Andrew Krasno, a U.S. artist, made headlines with his exhibits of human skin art and sculptures. Yes, recently. The artist assures that all of his skins are acquired from bodies that have been donated to medical science. He states that his work is not meant to be solely shock art, but is also intended as, quote, a commentary on human cruelty, end quote. The site also states that, quote, the choice of human skin, specifically that of Caucasians, is of equal import because of our perverse fascination with skin and our selective use of it for myth-making, propaganda, and other orchestrated purposes to justify our aims to gloss over our past or as a pretext for war, end quote. I'm just going to keep my opinion to myself about this one, but his comments go around in a circle and never really say anything. His quote-unquote artwork is out on the internet if you'd like to experience it. And this final mention of modern-day use of the Ed Gein fashion and home decorating methods, the Human Leather Company's official website states, Just like animal leather products produced from lesser animals, our raw human skin is transformed into the finest grade leather by using a traditional tanning process. However, human leather is the finest grain leather that is obtainable. It is free from defects and has the smallest grain size, which makes it the smoothest, softest leather on earth, end quote. This company is based in the UK, thank goodness, but I couldn't pass up the chance to pass this one along. According again to the website, the materials are acquired from, quote, people who have bequeathed their skins to us prior to their deaths, end quote. They also state that the whole process is completely legal and that they are currently booked as they have too many orders that can be fulfilled at this time. But they do ask you to still add your request to the waiting list and advise you to keep your inbox and your mind open. 
And speaking in modern-day flaying, not so much household items, but we should still discuss body works. This is a highly controversial exhibition of dissected and flayed human bodies preserved through a process known as plastination. It continues to tour the world and attract thousands of visitors curious to see what hides beneath the skin. So what is plastination? The website says that it was invented by scientist and anatomist Dr. Gunther von Hagens in 1977 and is, quote, the groundbreaking method of halting decomposition to preserve anatomical specimens for the scientific and medical education. The process involves extracting all bodily fluids and soluble fat from specimens, replacing them through vacuum-forced impregnation with reactive resins and elastomers, and then curing them with light, heat, or certain gases which give the specimens rigidity and permanence, end quote. I have seen this exhibit, and it was absolutely amazing. It did disturb me at first, but if I take a step back, as I do with most of these episodes, and look at things through a different light, it was actually very interesting. I am not a medical student, and this was my one chance to see how the human body really works and how it is connected this with that. I'm glad I went, and I value the human body so much more because of it. So, are you suddenly needing some human skin accessories of your own? I can help with that. Nope, nope, not real skin, uh, I think. But there is one company that is creating skin-like interfaces to help us with our cold devices, such as cell phones and laptops. They are basically fleshy, silicone-based cases. The skin is supposed to be able to register your touches and gestures with built-in sensors. Skin-on interfaces are sensitive skin-like input methods that can be added to existing devices to increase their capabilities, says researcher Mark Tessier. That's all I have to say about that. I'll put the link to the video in case you're interested in more. But I have one last story to share, and then we can put this subject to rest. Hey everyone, sorry to interrupt, but do you know that the Ragtag Network has its own merch? You can get merch for your favorite shows such as Bag of Bones, Save Me an Isle Seat, or Total Tomfoolery. Just visit www.ragtagnetwork.com slash merch now to check things out. One last grave robbing story. Thomas Paine. In American history, he was a prolific and lauded author that wrote the pamphlets Common Sense in 1776 and The American Crisis that helped inspire Americans to fight for their freedom from England. You may recognize his quote, These are the times that try men's souls. His early writings unified a new nation, and his opinions were some of the first in print regarding the abolishment of slavery, state-financed public education, care of women during and after pregnancy, and a state pension stating that, quote, A person's labor ought to be over, requiring the state to assist those at retirement. In 1796, Paine went off the rails. He felt betrayed by former allies, namely George Washington, whom he wrote an open letter blasting him, calling him incompetent and a hypocrite. And he also continued to write pamphlets attacking the Christian doctrine. 
Not as popular as he once was, he successfully ostracized himself by expressing his bitter opinions. He was arrested while in France, interestingly enough writing pamphlets to induce the French Revolution, but James Monroe, who was eventually an American president, and despite the American viewpoint of the author, worked to get his freedom and eventually was able to return him to his home country in 1802. When he died in 1809, only six people attended his funeral. He died in poverty and alone. In 1819, only ten years after the injustices to his friend, English author William Cobbett was incensed at how Payne was so quickly dismissed and, in the words of Robert Ingersoll, who wrote, quote, One by one of his old friends and acquaintances had deserted him, maligned on every side, execrated, shunned, abhorred, his virtues denounced as vices, his services forgotten, his character blackened, he preserved the poison balance of his soul. He was a victim of the people, end quote. Cobbett decided to dig up Payne's body and take him back to England, where he planned a lavish tomb and memorial. Payne had requested to be buried in a Quaker's graveyard, but they would not allow it. Instead, he was buried under a walnut tree on his own property in New Rochelle, New York. Cobbett and some of his co-conspirators set off in the middle of the night and had his coffin dug up out of the ground by dawn. In England, however, things did not fare much better. The funds for the memorial never materialized, and Cobbett ended up keeping Payne's body in an old trunk until his own death in 1835. No one really knows what happened to Payne's body after the death of his only friend. Many people have come forward throughout the years claiming to have some of Payne's body parts, but none of those body parts have been proven to be his. Legend has it that some of the bones may have been turned into buttons. And that's the end of this episode of Bag of Bones. As always, I thank you for keeping me company this week. And I would love it if you could leave a 5-star rating and review on Apple. And if you're out and about on the social media scene, I can most often be found on the Bag of Bones podcast Facebook page. I'm Elizabeth Bougere, and let's meet again next week. Bag of Bones is created and hosted by Elizabeth Bougere, produced by the Ragtag Network and History Revisited, music by Johnny Reed. To learn more about the show, visit elizabethbougere.com. For more podcasts from the Ragtag Network, visit their website at www.ragtagnetwork.com. Copyrights by Elizabeth Bougere and DCT Enterprises.